Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Plain. M.I.P. With Masamela Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Make It Plain. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, we, we welcome back to Make It Plain to M.I.P. Once again, our dear friend and fellow Hoya, Congresswoman Stacey Plaskett comes back. Thank you, Congresswoman, for joining us once again. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the time. Mark, you're doing good things. Oh, well, thank you. And you are as well. Glad to see all us Hoyas are doing uh, such a good thing. (laughs) First of all, I Wait a minute. You know I have a Hoya. Um, One of my children is going to be a Hoya starting in the fall. Really? Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Listen, this is the fourth son the only one who even applied to Georgetown. Wow. Okay. Okay. And he'll be starting in the fall. Uh, and he is also on the sailing team. Oh, okay. So a Hoy and athlete too. Well, congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations to him. Indeed. Indeed. So um, I thought the mm-hmm. Republicans were pro police pro police lives matter and all of that back the blue even is their hashtag am, am i and with so they voted basically to defund the capital police when they didn't go for the the legislation to increase their budget they were getting mad at us about defund now they voted to defund the capital police and then now they're not even voting to honor the the fallen blue so i need you to reconcile that because that that doesn't compute well, what you, what you need to understand is that the Republican Party has just become a party of two. They have two pieces of platform. One is do what Donald Trump says. And the other is obstruct and destroy anything that the Democrats put forward. That's it. That's the that's the entirety of their platform. So in this instance, 
those two um, pieces that you just talked about fall squarely within those two policy measures, right? One, they cannot support funding the Capitol Police. And in their mind, they can't even honor police officers who tried to defend the Capitol and defend our democracy on January 6th, because that would be saying that there was an insurrection. And so they can't support those things. And if they did, it may get Donald Trump upset with them. That's the other thing that they can't do. Uh, And so you're going to see this again and again. I mean, look at this budget. How many Republicans, when Trump was president, he had infrastructure week for months. And now that we have an infrastructure bill, they don't want to do any of the infrastructure work because it's the Democrats who are putting it forward. So let me ask you this. Speaking of that, what's the atmosphere like these days Mm. in building with the police officers, with other members of of Congress? I I can imagine you all are probably still (laughs) dealing with some of the the trauma from January 6th. I think the tensions are still incredibly, incredibly high here. You know, it's uncomfortable talking and associating with members in the same way that you may have previously. I might have had policy or ideology issues with some members, but still you could find some commonality in just being Americans, just working together. I may not agree with you, but I don't doubt your integrity or your desire to do what's right for the American people. For me, a lot of that is down the tubes now. I actually question your loyalty to this country. I question you as an individual and your willingness to put me and my staff in harm's way for your own political gain. So having polite conversation with you is not something that I necessarily want to engage in. You have shown that you will support uh, confederacy, you will support white supremacy, you will support insurrectionists who are trying to overthrow our government. So why am I going to be on the elevator asking you about how your weekend was and how your kids are? I'm just not going to say anything to you. And um, I think that's where a lot of members are. You see some Democrats who won't even co-sponsor legislation with members who voted after January 6th to decertify the Electoral College um, certification. I think that's just the way um, members are operating right now. You know, mask wearing on the floor was really heated as well. I don't know if you saw, Mark, there was even a confrontation um, between some of us and some others about, listen, There are staff members on the floor who are simply doing their job, asking you to put a mask on. And they are, some of them are our elders and you are mocking them and being disrespectful to them. And we're not going to stand for that. And that's led to some real tensions uh, here, here in the Congress. That's unfortunate because it's interesting. You have some people, especially one in in the upper chamber, talking about Mm -hmm. bipartisan but in order to have bipartisanship, you need that collegiality. And, and, mm-hmm. and I can only imagine how that is now compromised because, of course, people working in the same building are going to be polite. Hey, how's your weekend? How's your children? How are your family? But then you're going to ignore what happened on January 6th and condone that behavior. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. 
let's be honest, if the, if a commission were to be stood up in whatever regard, some of them folk probably, as Liz Cheney said, which I frankly think why they wanted her gone. She was very outspoken saying, some of y'all gonna get subpoenaed. All right, mm-hmm. she said some of her colleagues. And so it's not mm-hmm. just that they condone January 6th, but there is speculation, not proven yet, obviously, but that some of those individuals in, in, in Congress, in Republicans, um, were involved in helping some of those who stormed the Capitol pr- in previous weeks and months come in, make tours, get, offer tours, do some surveillance, so to speak, or or what have or, you. Or encouragement and support the day of. Right, right, right. So that's pretty irreparable. Right. You know, what's a, another interesting fact that people may not be aware of is that just the configuration of the house. Um, so on the house floor, uh, because of the COVID pandemic, many of the members were not just on the floor. Some of them were also in the gallery, right? Which is rings the, is, is a platform ringing the, um, the floor of the house. Now, Republicans were, had no problem with congregating close together on January 6th. So all of them were on the House floor, but quite a number of Democrats and reporters were in the gallery because they wanted to social distance. Um, And when the insurrection started, all of those things were closed off. Members who were on the House floor, staff and members on the floor of the House, they were able to quickly get rid of, get them off of the floor. I mean, it took some, you know, 10, 15 minutes to get them off of the floor. But the members who were in the gallery were basically hostages up there because that's a completely separate entrance. Um, To get there is completely separate. And um, if you've seen any of the videos of when they finally were able to get them, they had to suppress those rioters who were near the gallery. Um, You can see some of them lying prostrate on the ground with guns drawn on them for members and reporters, only Democrats, to walk past them. And so those members who were up in that gallery, they have even more issues with what happened on January 6th. Well, before we move on, I have to ask this. So where are we in the process? Uh, we know the, the the formal commission, that has yet to, to be stood up. Uh, mm-hmm. But is there going to be some type of select committee within the House? Is that where kind of where things are moving? Presently, Democratic leadership has decided that for the time being, the committees of jurisdiction, whether it's oversight committee or judiciary, uh, looking at the FBI or Homeland Security, will continue to do their work to look at events or area issues that are relevant to those subcommittee, to those committees. While a decision is being made, as to what format or what form a select committee or any other committee will be done. So I think um, we should eminently see a select committee being formed. I mean, think about how long, how long did um, it take them to stand up Benghazi and how long did that go on? Right, good point, good point. More MIP after this message. You have a piece of legislation now, H.R. 3434. Tell us about that, if you would. So I have a piece of legislation which is similar to a lot of legislation that I've been working on, 
which is to provide equity to people living in the territories. Um, and this is with regard to health, health insurance, um, and specifically to Medicaid. So you'll find that in the Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, Guam, it doesn't matter the size of the location of the territory. The territories over many, many years have not been treated in the same manner that the states have for social services, for federal uh, services. And, and many of these were taken away and these inequities occurred um, around the either in the 1970s or the 1990s. Um, and we have found in for my bill HR 3434, um, this is to provide equity in Medicaid. So say Mark, you lived in a place like Mississippi, which has a very high poverty rate. The federal government pays 81% of all Medicaid needs in the state of Mississippi. In a place like New York, where I grew up, the federal government will pay closer to 60, maybe 58% because there isn't such a great degree of poverty in that state. In all of the territories, the federal government at some point just picked a percentage and said, we're going to pay 55% and the territories will pay the other 45%. That number was not related to poverty level or demographics. It was just an arbitrary percentage. Now, over time, what that has meant is, like in a place like the Virgin Islands, our local government has said, well, we can't afford that much to pay that much. And so we are gonna limit the amount of people who can receive Medicaid. And so the amount of people who receive Medicaid was really small. And so you had a lot of people with uncompensated care. So we'd have a lot of people going to the hospital who just didn't have any Medicaid at all. Now, a place like Puerto Rico decided that, you know what, we've got to do something. And so we will borrow money, which is why they had such a high amount of funding in um, the stock market, right? Going to private equity, hedge funds to try and borrow bonds. And those bonds were used in many instances to take care of healthcare needs um, of the people of Puerto Rico, which put them in a predicament where they're effectively bankrupt. Since two years ago, the federal government has done a temporary fix. And so now they're making the amount equitable based on our percentages and our demographics. The federal government is paying a little over 81% of the costs. And in the Virgin Islands, it just meant that we have been able to increase, oh, by 20%, the number of people that we can put on Medicaid, which is a huge amount, um, you know, primarily children, um, those who are in need. And so what my bill is doing is to make that permanent um, so that we don't have to keep going back and begging them to do the right thing. Uh, we're also looking at that in terms of federal funding for highways and others as well. You know, we're in a state, the territories are in a perpetual state of colonialism. Uh, the United Nations has said that the people who live in territories in the United States are in some of the last colonies in the world. And the Supreme Court has said that in, in cases that were written in the early 1900s, the people who live in the territories are savage alien races 
who cannot understand Anglo-Saxon principles of law and therefore should not be treated in the same manner as other American citizens should not be afforded all of the rights because they don't understand them. And this was written by a justice in the Supreme Court. The same person who wrote Plessy v. Ferguson wrote the language of those insular cases in the Supreme Court. And unfortunately, we've had administration after administration continue to support those same cases from Bush to Obama to Trump. And now we're looking to see what the Biden administration is going to do. Very important legislation and necessary, folks. Uh, when we talk about equity, mm -hmm. we talk about it in a holistic, from a holistic point of view. Right. And many of us, it seems to be clear, you know, I, I'm been fighting against this 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 nativism that some have been perpetrating in the black community, especially with regards to reparations. I the only reason I'm not from the Virgin Islands or Jamaica is because my ancestors got off the boat a little bit later. Exactly. And so so we all won in a, in a this context. Having said that, Congresswoman, we're talking about DC statehood right now. DC mm -hmm. so uh, Am I out of order to, because I'm not, I'm not a Virgin Islander, but where, where are the people today in the Virgin Islands? Where are you even? Should not the Virgin Islands consider statehood and come into the full um, uh, recognition that, that it deserves or is, is independence the outcome? Where, where are you all in that? In those you know, I've been having discussions with our local government about us really educating um, our population about what are the options, status options, and what are the economic, political, legal, social ramifications of each of them, right? Um, you know, I am not one for independence. Uh, I look at what happens in the smaller Caribbean nations, and I think that they are deserved by being independent and separate entities. Now, if 20 of them were to get together, and become a united Caribbean islands. I think that that could be much more powerful than them individually being independent sovereigns. You know, I know that that speaks to a whole bunch. That's never going to happen at this point um, in terms of colonialism and in what it has done to create that separation among those Caribbean islands. But, you know, I look at the COVID pandemic, um, how detrimental that has been to our brothers and sisters in some of these Caribbean islands. You know, Jamaica has an infection rate of over 40%, and they cannot jockey for vaccines in the same way that places like the Virgin Islands, um, Bermuda are able to get it because we're part of um, a larger sovereign nation. Um, but I do think that, you know, we look at our neighbor next door, Puerto Rico, and look at the difficulty they have, 3 million people, to become a state. <clears throat> What's the likelihood of the union allowing 110,000 people to become a state? Although um, smaller places have become states, right? But also part of the reason why it's so difficult for a place like Puerto Rico to become a state is when we had Wyoming as a territory or California as a territory, the federal government put in tremendous resources into those places for their economic development and to incentivize population growth and for businesses to go there so that they could become a state, right? So that they could become a whole complete ecosystem within themselves. 
they have not done that to Puerto Rico. So when people are like, oh, you know, Puerto Rico's so poor, they don't have any resources, how are we gonna let them be a state? Well, it's because you haven't given them the resources for them to grow to that stage as well. You're right, and, and all of that is very, very important. We're, thank goodness for your bill, folks, it's, it's only fair, and we cannot, as we fight for uh, equity and other issues in this country, we cannot ignore what these areas are called, that are called territories their needs and, and what impacts them and their concerns. So we want to keep that in mind. More MIP after this message. I'm just really grateful that you're even having this discussion, not just about the territories, but asking questions about the other Caribbean islands. June is Caribbean American Heritage Month. And I have really been surprised at the amount of um, reticence of those of our brothers and sisters, not a small percentage, particularly younger people, um, African descendants of slaves from the United States to embrace the notion of uh, Caribbean American Heritage Month. You know, that there are those of us who have lineage in the Caribbean and that we should celebrate that. Mark, I think about when I was at Georgetown that, but not for the efforts of Black American students during the late 80s, South Africa, there would never have been the pressure to have corporations divest from South Africa, which created pressure to cause that government to change. And while we as African Americans, individuals of African descent who are American citizens, fight for equality and justice in the United States for ourselves, that should not limit us in calling for justice for other people as well, or celebrating what the accomplishments and the support that other cultures or other groups of Africans who were dropped in other places have provided as well to this country. You know, American Revolution, 500 free Haitians came to fight in Georgia with the colonies. That uh, experience and that know-how, of course, then afforded them the ability to fight against the French in the Haitian Revolution. But there have been Caribbean Americans throughout this his the history of the United States, good, bad, ugly, you know, smart, not so smart, controversial or not, who in their own homes, that Caribbean heritage did afford them um, certain mindsets, which allowed them to provide support. You know, I think about Harry Belafonte and his work during the civil rights movement, Stokely Carmichael, right? Whose family came from Trinidad. Malcolm X, whose mother was from Grenada, had a heavy accent and came to this country as a teenager and immediately became involved with Marcus Garvey, which I think has really influenced him as well. Yeah. No, I would agree. And and as a matter of fact, you know, as someone who has been fighting against some of this disinformation, we know that people of African descent are the most targeted for disinformation online anyway. Yeah. And this whole online movement of trolling and whatnot, trying to divide African-Americans from indigenous Africans and Afro-Caribbeans. Yeah. It yeah. was time around the time of Donald Trump's reelection, number one, and was mm -hmm. also timed to undermine Vice President Harris, 
Yes. Uh, and so I just ask people to look at that. I don't think it's 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 small, but they make a lot of noise. I don't think it's organic in terms of our community. But, you know, we we've looked at it. I've been involving people looking at it. There's a, there's a lot of hidden hands in that. And the mm. only goal is to pride us as a people. So mm-hmm. if our votes are diluted, if we're divided, we can't, you know, put the five fingers on the fist together. So yes. I agree with you. A lot of us have pushed back against that, um, that, that type of thing. It started out as a thing that attacked Kamala. Then it became a thing to try to really, I mean, some of these same groups also attack HR 40. Mm. And the argument we've made is that HR 40 is, is for anyone who, was impacted by actual enslavement or his vestiges. As you know, the NYPD didn't ask Amadou Diallo if he was an African-American. <laughs> and and Afro-Americans and others, Abner Louima was not mm-hmm. asked if he was an African-American. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. when people um, from the, the diaspora are affected by the vestiges of enslavement, big voter suppression, police lynching, mm-hmm. what have you, we need reparations to come up with programs that will address all of that. And so maybe we'll end on that. A lot of conversation. We have almost 200 co-sponsors now for HR 40. You are one of them. Uh, and let me just mention, the Congressman mentioned that we started out as kids together at Georgetown, getting that major university to divest from South Africa. And then everything and else was like a domino. That was a very important time. The Reagan administration, tried to get me kicked out of school. It was a whole lot, a whole lot of drama. But we I, did. I got, you know, I got arrested. That's right. We, yeah, we went to jail. Yeah. We did all of that. We built a shantytown. So, you know, the, the diasporic struggle, the Pan-African mm-hmm. struggle is always important. What are your thoughts about the reparations bill? There's a lot of chatter. Some House leadership is reportedly saying they're afraid because of the midterms. If it, if we already know what Joe Manchin is not going to do because he's not doing anything for us anyway. But but what do you think about where the bill is, bringing it to the floor? Sheila Jackson Lee was brought to the floor before the end of the summer. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Can that happen? Just where do you think things are? At the end of the day, you know, there are things that we need to get done while we have the majority that need to be realistic. But we do need to be concerned about those of our members who are on the front line that give us that majority. Right. And I don't want members taking the walking the plank on bills that are not going to go anywhere in the Senate. Um, You know, members always talk about cap and trade. This was before I came that leadership in the House took a vote on a bill that they knew was not going anywhere in the Senate. And those members lost their seats. It's the same reason how this larger discussion about I am not a defund the police person. I am a retool the police. Let's give the police the resources that they need and take away the resources that they don't need, as in military style equipment, giving them more resources in education. And we lost seats in the House because of the phrase defund the police. So I think that if we bring forward a bill on reparations, we need to get assurance from Schumer that he's also going to bring a bill forward. whether they voted up or they voted down. At the same time, we need to make sure that we have legislation such as this jobs plan, this infrastructure bill, that are going to support those members who moderate Democrats in those purple districts. 
that's something that they can run on. Yes, I voted for reparations, but I also voted for you to have more affordable housing. I voted for you to have better childcare. I voted for you to have that more construction, high-speed um, broadband in our community as well, so that they can balance those votes when it comes time to election season. Good point, good point. Uh, no, all of the above, rather than an either or. Lastly, we're approaching a big weekend, Juneteenth. And Father, mm-hmm. any special message you'd like to you'd like to leave? Well, you know, I think you know Juneteenth. I just saw that we saw that this just passed in the Senate. It's going to be taken up in the House. We will have another federal holiday, which is so incredibly important to recognize the emancipation of African Americans in this country. I think that that is a tremendous. Uh, celebration. In the Virgin Islands, we celebrate July 3rd is our Emancipation Day. That is the day that we actually took Emancipation We through a violent insurrection. So I think having Juneteenth is, is, is absolutely an important date. And I'm going to be putting out calls, particularly to my Texas brothers and sisters, those out West, uh, wishing them a happy Juneteenth. And as for Father's Day, you know, what can I say? You know, I'm the product of not just a mother, but a father who completely poured into me everything, uh, who didn't put limits on what I could or could not do, um, made me join the boys' little league baseball team because he thought uh, underhanded pitching was, you know, not an appropriate way to throw a ball. Told me I had to play first base while I could be, while I was still the tallest person from away from the boys. Uh, took me hunting and fishing with him. So I, but at the same time, you know, my dad was the first person to give a hug and a kiss to a baby, sit, you know, my son's on his lap. Um, And so I'm just grateful for him still being with me at 89 years old to my dad, Leroy. And of course, my husband, you know, I asked him today what he wanted to do for Father's Day. I know what he wants to do. He wants to grill. He wants to smoke some kind of meat as he always does. And he wants to be able to drink a cigar and have some good bourbon on Father's Day. So we'll make sure that that happens. And we will not get him socks. We will get him a a much better gift than a pair of socks and some ties. And Mark, even better, um, in a couple of hours, I'm going down to Tennessee to visit my third son, who uh, is a father. Uh, I'm going to be doing some grandmother duties for him for a few days and just, you know, I'm blessed to see what a caring father he is, my son, Ariel. Well, wonderful. Happy Father's Day to your husband, your son, and especially your dad. That's a wonderful story. God bless him. As, as a son, as a father who's raising a baseball prayer, I, player, I basically, uh, I'm very connected to your father. So that's that's wonderful, <laughs> wonderful story. So that's wonderful. Uh, Congresswoman Stacey Plaxton, representing the Virgin Islands, trying to make sure there's equity in the Virgin Islands for those residents, especially coming when it comes to a lot of health issues and Medicaid that you and I and Medicaid, you and I take for granted. Yes. We want to yes. support that. And she's working hard on so many things. And she, most of all, is a fellow Hoya, Hoya, Hoya Saxon. Thank you. Hoya Saxon. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.